What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is Megan Rapino, and I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse podcast. My name is Brendan Nunez, and there's no Rich on here today, but we have a very special guest that does not need much introduction. You'll recognize him when you hear his voice. We have Grant Napier. How are you doing today, Grant? I'm good, Brendan. How are you? I'm doing great. I really appreciate you coming on and taking the time. And just to start out at the top, how you uh, how you doing dealing with all this quarantine? someone discovered and we're all going to be able to take it and everything's going to be fine so you know my wife and i uh are empty nesters so you know our our children are off to college or have graduated college so it's just me her and the dog and we get our exercise in the morning we go for long walks and then you know we just hang out and then i do my radio show every day so you know what, Brendan? It's uh, it's challenging for everyone. I'm sure in your age group, my age group, it really doesn't matter. Uh, I have a son that's graduating from college next week, and obviously there's no graduation ceremony. So, you know, we're all kind of dealing with uh, this new normal for a while, and uh, hopefully we'll all get through it just fine. Yeah, definitely. Entertaining myself by going back and watching old games and things like that, uh, trying to find a way to get through it. And like you said, I mean, if I wake up tomorrow and there's a magic vaccine, I would definitely feel feel pretty good about everything going on. Uh, but you're a great way to start off this, this series that I wanted to do of going through um, different people that work in the organization, that the fans and people that are listening or going to the games are constantly getting interaction with indirectly. And I was thinking that I could uh, use a little bit of an opportunity to kind of pull back the curtain a little bit and get to know these people a little bit better that they're hearing from all the time. And obviously your voice is in everyone's ears all the time. You've done an amazing job covering the Kings for uh, 30 plus years. How many is it exactly now? 32 years, if you can believe that. My first year of doing the Kings was 1988. Wow. Yeah. I mean, definitely got, got some experience to say the least. Um, and going back to the start, my understanding is from your, you, you're from New York, correct? Yes. I was born and raised on uh, Long Island, uh, far enough away from the city where you didn't know there was a big city near you, but close enough where, you know, within an hour you could be in uh, the city. And I left 
after I graduated from high school to go to college in Ohio and then it kind of just worked my way out West. But yeah, I was born and raised in New York and you know, it was a great platform for me because you had so many sports going on all the time. And Marv Albert was the radio voice of the Knicks and the Rangers. And I used to just listen to him almost on a nightly basis and just became infatuated with the way he did games. And really when I was probably fourth or fifth grade, I knew what I wanted to do. I, that I was just wow. so enthralled by listening to Mark do games. That's something that I said I wanted to do. Wow. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, my follow-up was what got you into basketball. And I guess just being in New York, I mean, they call it the Mecca over there, right? And yeah. and Marv, uh, that, that makes a lot of sense with, with how you got into broadcasting. And then what was that process like of trying to get into that business? Well, it's uh, interesting you ask that because I think if you uh, interviewed 50 people that are currently in the business, they would give you 50 different answers about <laughs> how they got started in the business. I mean, I was, first of all, blessed that growing up, we had season tickets to both the New York Giants and the New York Jets. So, you know, I was at an NFL game every single Sunday without fail uh, growing up as a kid. And then, you know, we used to go to New York Ranger games on Sunday afternoons um, and couldn't get in to see the Knicks play because you just couldn't get tickets. But, you know, we were always at games. We were always involved with sports. I played football and lacrosse, and then I played lacrosse in college. But just practicing, you know, I would go and sit in the corners of high school gyms and announce basketball games or, you know, announce a football game off uh, a TV, whatever the case may be. You know, the one thing I would say, and I always tell young aspiring broadcasters, just don't focus on one sport. Believe it or not, my dream and what I always wanted to do is announce the National Hockey League. And I've been blessed that I did some National Hockey League games, but my career has been in the NBA. I would have also loved to have done the NFL. And again, I've been blessed to do the NFL uh, with the Raiders for five years during the preseason. So I've kind of gotten an opportunity, Brendan, to do a little bit of everything. But, you know, uh, basketball just kind of happened. It kind of fell into my lap of doing, you know, play by play. But don't limit yourself to one sport is what I always tell aspiring broadcasters. You know, have a, a wide range of things that interest you, not just one sport, because you never know that opportunity may not present itself. You may have to go down a different path. Right. You're broadening uh, your your possibilities definitely there. And interestingly, I, I've spoke to Sean Grande, who does yeah. the uh, same thing for the Celtics, and he he's in the same boat. My understanding was that he was looking for hockey and, and yeah, basketball is the opportunity that presented itself. Um, did you play any sports yourself? Uh, I, this is Wikipedia, so who knows how accurate, but it's saying you played lacrosse in college. Yes, is that accurate? Yep, I did. I was uh, really uh, expelled in lacrosse growing up. I was always the best player on my team because my dad played lacrosse in college and he got me and my brother started at really a very early age. And I remember taking a lacrosse stick to uh, grade school one day and my teacher wouldn't allow me to put it back where we stored our books and our coats and stuff because he didn't know what it was. And back then the sticks were made out of all wood and he wouldn't allow me to put it back there because he thought it could be used as kind of like a weapon. And I had to tell him what it was. And so I, I played lacrosse all the time and played in college and actually uh, played out in Sacramento. When I moved out to Sacramento in 1987, I started playing club lacrosse here in Sacramento. We used to play teams all over Northern California. And believe it or not, I actually played lacrosse up until I was 50. I stopped playing at 50. Uh, we had a game in Roseville in the summer. and We were playing against all college uh, kids who were home from summer. And they were, you know, again, you know, wanting to play some lacrosse. And uh, I'll never forget it. I played my last game at age 50. 
my wife was there and my boys were there and I had a great game. I scored five goals, uh, but I was beat up and my knees were bleeding and I could barely walk to the car. And I told oh, my wife right then and there, I go, that's the last game I'm going to play. Because, <laughs> you know, lacrosse was a rough sport and I played attack, which means I always had the ball, which means I was always getting beat up on. And so, yeah, I played lacrosse pretty much my whole life. I was something I just absolutely loved. Yeah, I had a friend in college that played lacrosse, and I was shocked how physical that sport is. They are literally yeah. beating each other with the sticks at times, it seems like. Yeah, I played, you know, again, ever since I was in second grade, I started playing. And, you know, again, I, I played, it was really interesting. I played, I started off playing defense, and then I played goalie. And then when I got into uh, ninth grade, I went to a lacrosse camp with all high school players, 10th, 11th, and 12th graders. And I had to make a decision what position I wanted to play. And I chose to be an attackman because I had really good stick work, which, you know, was, I just felt like I wanted to score goals. And so I started playing attack when I was in uh, ninth grade and played all the way uh, really up until I was 50. It's a fascinating game. It's a fast moving game and it's become real popular out in California now. I mean, a lot of the high schools are playing it. There's youth lacrosse. Uh, I've been really impressed with how fast lacrosse has grown out here in the West Coast because it's really a hotbed on Long Island. Like Long Island and Baltimore, Maryland are the two hotbeds for lacrosse, and those are the two best areas in the country for lacrosse. Uh, But when I moved out here, there wasn't a lot of lacrosse, but now everyone's playing it. I think it's great. I love to see it. Yeah, definitely. And then back to your broadcasting, what it, what is it that brought you over to Sacramento? Because obviously it's so drastically sure. different from being over there in New York. Well, I went to college in Ohio. And then after I graduated from college uh, in Ohio, I worked at the uh, station that I was doing an internship my junior and uh, senior year. And I did everything. Uh, I was the morning disc jockey. I did sales. And then I was announcing both hockey, uh, football and some basketball. And then I was able to get a a part-time job filling in on the weekends at the ABC TV station in Toledo. And I did that for six or nine months until I could get a resume tape. And I just started sending out to different markets across the the country that I thought I could work. And uh, I ended up in Decatur, Illinois, which is uh, halfway between Champaign and Springfield. So it's about two hours from St. Louis, three and a half hours from Chicago. It's kind of right in the middle of the state. And I worked there from three years and I attended a wedding in July of 1987. And I met a TV executive who owned a TV station in both uh, Sacramento and St. Louis. And he knew who I was. And he said, Hey, we have an opening in Sacramento. Send your tape and tell them that I'm, I told you to send the tape. And literally I sent the tape out the next day. I got a phone call back three days later. Uh, I flew out to Sacramento for an interview and I accepted the job on the spot. I flew back to Decatur, Illinois. I was just getting ready to start a vacation. And my news director said, you know, well, why don't you just work until Friday and then we'll pay you for next week and you can get going. And I got, I packed everything I owned, which was not much in my little Subaru hatchback without any air conditioning. And I drove <laughs> from uh, Decatur, Illinois, all the way out to Sacramento. It took me three days. It was the biggest heat wave of the summer. Wow. And again, I had no AC and I was so excited and I, pulled into uh, the old Woodlake Hotel off Highway 160. Uh, It was directly across from where Channel 31 was. And I did not know one single person in all of Sacramento when I moved here. And that's pretty much how I got into Sacramento. And the interesting thing, Brendan, is we didn't have the Kings back then. The uh, Kings were shown on uh, Channel 13 back then from 1985 for the first three years. And 
uh, and I know I'm going on and on, but I think this is interesting. I think your listeners would find this uh, interesting. Yeah. We, we, I, I started working at Channel 31 as the sports director in July of 87. And December 24th, Christmas Eve, I walked into our general manager's office to wish him uh, a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holiday. And he wasn't there. There was somebody else in the office. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. And he said, no, come on in. And he said, I'm the new general manager. And <laughs> I was just like blown away that, wow, they would replace the general manager on Christmas. And that gentleman is now the general manager at Channel 3 in Sacramento, Elliot Strachinsky. But Elliot told me a couple months after that first meeting, he said, hey, uh, we're trying to get the Kings. And if we do, have you ever done basketball before? And I said, yeah, actually, I've been doing basketball since I was in second grade. He goes, no, really, have you announced basketball before? And I said, yes, really, I've been announcing basketball since I was in second grade. So <laughs> a month later, he called me back into his office and said, we got the rights for the Kings, and I want you to do the games, but the Kings have to approve you, and if they approve you, you're going to be doing the games. Well, backtrack a couple of months earlier, I had uh, – wrote uh, i did a handwritten note to the general manager of the kings joe axelson and it was basically like joe hi my name is grant napier i'm the new tv uh, uh sports director at channel 31 and i'm just writing to say thank you to everyone in your organization because they've treated me so well when i go to the games and i said i just came from central illinois and was covering the university of illinois and i said in the letter i said i hope that people in sacramento realize how lucky they are to have the Sacramento Kings because the atmosphere reminds me of the Big Ten, which I was just covering. And again, I wrote the letter. I never, you know, I just did it out of just like a genuine thank you. Yeah. And then Elliot called me back into the office. Oh, it was sometime in May. And he said, uh, uh, guess what? I said, what? He goes, you're the new TV announcer for the Sacramento Kings. Huh. Joe Axelson loves you and approved you. And so one year after I came to Sacramento, I started doing the Kings on TV. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. If you're missing the NFL, it's no problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. All open 24 hours a day and all online. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet Online, your online wagering solution. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that is that is absolutely amazing. I think a lot of people would uh, point that towards luck being in the right place at the right times. But one of my favorite quotes is luck is when opportunity meets preparation. And you are more than prepared for that for sure. Um, and one of my uh, questions I've had for you and just interests in in this broadcasting is how much prep goes into um, before each of these games. I'm sure they they give you sheets with enunciations of difficult player names for some of these. Um, but what sort of prep goes into the beginning of each of these games and how has that developed over the years of you doing it? It's a, it's a great question um, because you just said, how has it developed over the years? I, I used to do much, much more work in my first part of my Kings career than now because of the familiarity with all the players in the league and with technology, the internet, and as you said, all the information that is given to me. 
uh, I really get most of my information before the game, talking to the other teams, TV announcers. Uh, and again, I've gotten to know all these people on, you know, very well, we're all friends. And so, uh, you know, if the game starts at seven o'clock, you know, at five forty-five or six o'clock, I'll go over and talk to, let's say Eric Reed, the TV voice for the Miami heat. And we'll talk for 10 minutes. And, you know, we'll, he'll ask me questions about trends with our team and I'll ask him about his team. Uh, and, and I get most of my information that way. And, you know, again, I'm probably like you and everyone else, you know, I'm watching sports center. I'm watching highlights of games every night. So I'm pretty much know what's going on in the league. Uh, if there's a rookie or a free agent that I'm not familiar with, I'll do a little bit of background on them. Uh, but really that's about all I do. And then it's time to go on the air and announce the game. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense, obviously using those resources that are available to you and building those relationships with the other announcers, play-by-play color guys, um, obviously makes a lot of sense and being able to pick their brains. How often are you also able to build relationships with the guys that you're around pretty often in the Sacramento, um, in the Sacramento front office or the players? And do you have any relationships of maybe guys that have come through that really stand out to you? Yeah, I'm actually, I have a lot of really close friends uh, over the years from uh, Sacramento and going back from Reggie Fias, who uh, came with the team uh, from Kansas City in 85. And throughout the years, I've had some dear friends. Bud Webb is a really close friend of mine, a, a guy that I love like a family member. You know, when Wayman Tisdale was here, I love Wayman like a family member. And when he passed, it was, you know, such as uh, unbelievably sad. And, you know, Wayman and his wife, Regina, and his family always had an open door policy on the holidays. And, you know, I was single then and w- was living by myself. And I would always go to Wayman's house for Thanksgiving and I mean, it was really a family atmosphere. And, you know, obviously Scott Pollard is one of my real close friends to this day. And, you know, Vladi is a dear friend of mine and I can go on and on. I've been blessed to meet and be around so many phenomenal people, not, not basketball players. I'm talking about people now because, you know, they're obviously great at what they do or they would have never made it to the NBA, but the relationship, see, I've always said this, Brendan, I don't know if a lot of fans truly understand this, but when you announce games for a team that really is like your family and i'm around the kings more than i'm around my family we're around each other all the time we travel together we're going in and out of hotels together you know we're having meals together and you develop a lot of friendships and when i started doing the games the players that were playing were my generation and so we would hang out a lot. We'd go out after games. And that was the case up until, you know, maybe, you know, 10 years ago. Now I'm, I'm out of their generation. And by that, I mean, like, I'm now too old to go do that. So I'm not as close with the players today as I was, you know, 15, 20, 25, 30 years ago, because, you know, the players are always remaining the same age and I'm getting older and older and older. So things change. But I mean, just I've had some amazing uh, friendships over the years with coaches, with players, even players that are on other teams like Danny Ainge is a really good friend of mine. And, you know, Danny runs the Boston Celtics. Matter of fact, we were just texting the other night. You know, there were, there were people that are with other organizations that were maybe played here for a couple of years and then went played, you know, for another organization. You know, Bill Wennington, you know, who's been a, a feature a lot on The Last Dance. Bill and I, you know, are very close. Bill played in Sacramento twice. And, you know, I can go on and on and on. I just, it's been, it's been a great run for me. I've really met some phenomenal, phenomenal people. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, you hear the brother brotherhood of the NBA and it extends to more than just the players, as you're saying. And and again, yeah, these are people. And I think people um, are quick to overlook that. And also an aspect of that. I mean, it is a business with everything going on. And there's moments where obviously guys are asked to leave. And if I remember correctly, definitely correct me if I'm wrong. I, I believe that you were fairly close with Dave Yeager, for example. And then he is um, he's asked to move on. And that that is I feel like an underrated aspect where that affects more than obviously the fans that they feel um, that maybe they wanted Dave to stay around or whatever the case is, but sure. that really affects a lot of the organization, right? It sure does. And I've had great relationships with all the coaches that have been here. And to this day, uh, Paul Westball is, uh, you know, a guy that I consider a friend. And when I, I, I saw Paul get inducted into the Naismith Hall of Fame last September because I flew out there to see Vladdy get inducted and I had a great talk with Paul. I mean, I, I, I was, I had a great relationship with Rick Adelman. You know, I can go on and on and on. Again, when you're with these people on a day in, day out basis, you develop friendships with them. And yeah, Dave, Dave is a guy that I had a lot of respect for and I, I wish him nothing but the best, but you know, think about 32 years, think about all the coaches that have come and gone. And right. you know, the one thing you learn about this business is that as much as you like an individual that's coaching a team, even if they're successful, they're probably not going to be there long term. It's just the way the business is. So, you know, you kind of look over the years, you kind of learn how to accept it a little bit more. Uh, it's not just the yeah. coach that it's the entire coaching staff. You know, I spend a lot of time with the assistant coaches when we're traveling and, you know, hanging out or going out to dinner on the road. Uh, very, I was very, very close with a lot of the assistant coaches on Dave Yeager staff, and then they're all gone. And it's just like, wow, it's, it's hard to really explain, Brendan, but, you know, it is part of the business, but it doesn't, you know, we're, we're still people and we still have feelings. And when someone loses their job, you feel bad for them. And that's just life. You know, you feel bad for them and you just hope that they prosper and that they do well in their, in their next, in their next endeavor. Right. I think it's definitely overlooked how many people that really affects, um, from within and outside of the organization. And like you said, I mean, you've been around the team for an extremely long time and, um, there's no easy way to put it. S Sacramento has not been the most successful throughout this stretch. They've had good, good runs for sure. But is it, is there times where you almost find yourself looking at other teams and, or uh, I, it's difficult to word this. How do you deal with the lack of success when you watch your coworkers on these other teams being able to announce on these, uh, higher stages more, more often than you're able to? I've always said I'd rather do an NBA team that goes 0 and 82 than a high school team that goes 82 and 0. I always keep in the uh, in my mind that I'm one of 30 people that are doing this. There right. are 30 teams in the league, and I've got one of the jobs, and it's still the NBA. And would I like to be on a team that has LeBron James and wins championships, or you know, be on a team that has you know Steve Kerr and Clay Thompson, or excuse me, uh, Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, and they're winning champ championships? Yeah, of course I would, but. The one thing about Sacramento is the fan base here is so unbelievable. They're so dedicated and so loyal. And yeah, do they get frustrated? Of course they do. I get frustrated too. But I just love the fan base here because win or lose, they want to call up my radio show and talk about the games. They're still showing up for the games. There's a real passion. And 
there are a lot of announcers that will do this for a long, long, long time and never win a championship. I mean, Ralph Lawler just retired last year from the L.A. Clippers. He had been the only announcer in the history of that entire franchise going back to San Diego, you know, and he did the whole thing without winning a championship. I mean, it's like Charles Barkley. We talk about great players that had great careers that they never won a championship. But you know what? It doesn't take away from the NBA and all the great moments and um, yeah, I wish I could be doing playoff games every year, but that's out of my control. And I have to keep in mind that I'm being paid to announce the game, regardless of whether I'm working for a team that's really good or not good. I have people that are watching the games that they want my best effort uh, every single night. And I try to do that. I can't do it every night. There, are, I'm like a player. There are some times where I don't feel like I had a good broadcast, but I try to I strive every time to have a really, really good broadcast because the fans here are so passionate and so loyal, they deserve that. And that's my job. So I always try to keep that in perspective, even if the team's not winning. Yeah, definitely a great way to look at it um, and stay positive there. And even with, uh, you know, maybe not the most success, there's great storylines to keep up with and small victories within the entire thing that go on every single year. Um, sure. And yeah, like you mentioned, I mean, I am not all far removed Um from the Bay Area and then moving out here. And while the Bay Area has a great fan base, there's a lot of teams that it's spread upon. And I think part of the reason that Sacramento has such a great fan base is the Kings really feel like the, I mean, they're the only major sport currently here at the time. You know, MLS is on its way. Um, but yeah, I can't say enough about just from being here, how crazy the fan base is about this team. And it's so enjoyable to be in that environment. Yeah, it's kind of like Portland. You know, Portland has the same environment. You know, it's pretty much the Blazers and that's it, even though they have an MLS team. But, you know, here in Sacramento, it's the Kings and it's the Kings and it's the Kings. And, you know, but back to your question from a moment ago, which is, you, you know, it's I get asked that often, believe it or not. But think about this. You know, one night I'm sitting on the floor at Madison Square Garden, you know, announcing a game with the Kings and the Knicks. And then the next night I'm sitting on the floor at the Boston Garden doing a game with the Kings and the Celtics. And I never forget how blessed I am. And I, I'm sure that other announcers would all say that. I mean, we are so blessed because the reality is there are a lot of people that could probably do our jobs, but there's only 30 jobs. And I don't ever I, – and I really mean this. I never take it for granted. I don't ever say, well, you know, I've been doing the Kings for 32 years. I'm going to be able to do the Kings for 15 more years. Or I, I don't take it for granted. I take every single game as like, wow, I'm really lucky to be doing this. I love what I'm doing. I hope I can do it for as long as I'm able. But I never take it for granted. And the, the I, would, I would hope, uh, I, I, would, I would really hope that the vast majority of people that do this for a living don't take it for granted either because we are the select few. We are blessed beyond measure to be doing this. I don't feel like I have a job. I mean, think about it. I get paid for announcing basketball games and talking about sports <laughs> on the radio. I mean, if you had told me that was going to be my life when I was 10 years old, I mean, gosh, I, I, I just still every day I'm living a dream every day. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, a dream that I'm chasing myself, you know, I mean, the fact that, like you're saying, that the sport is able to take you around the country, around the world, um, it, it definitely is a blessing and, and you've done it for so long at such a great level. Um, Guys, looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds, get to bluechew.com. Bluechew.com has the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. 
They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, and even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost, and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use promo code BLUEWIRE. All you got to do is pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-CHEW.com, promo code BLUEWIRE to get your first order free. Speaking of this Sacramento fan base, I mean, there's taglines that, that you have created that everyone in Sacramento knows at this point. And I'm curious where these come from. Do they just come naturally? You know, obviously, the if you don't like that, you don't like Kings basketball. Oh, boy. Um, I use a couple of them that have been edited into the intro of this podcast every time. Um, where do these come from? Is it just natural? Yeah, it's all spontaneous. You know, there was one time I want to say, and I don't even know the exact date, Brendan, but I think it was in the early 90s where if you don't like that, you don't like NBA basketball. And it just caught on and it's just followed me uh, over the years. It's um, uh, I don't rehearse anything. I don't write anything right. down when I do games or when I do my radio show. People can't believe it, but like I, I don't, I ad lib everything I do. Even when I do a live endorsement on my radio show, I don't write anything down. I just talk and I just talk about the, the whatever, you know, I, I just, right. like if I'm doing a commercial for, you know, a car company or, or whatever. I just talk, I talk about the company and I talked about why it's so good. I don't write anything down. I, I don't write anything down when I go on TV. Like if you walk by me for a television broadcast, you'd be blown away because I don't, I don't write notes down. I just, in my mind, I remember what I want to talk about and I formulate it. And like for someone like yourself or others that are getting into broadcasting, I used to always practice in my room. I used to make believe I was on TV and I would, you know, write down a couple of things and I would go over them like bullet points. And then I would make believe I was looking into a camera and I would talk for 60 seconds about what I wanted to talk about without looking at anything. Like when I came to Channel 31, the very first time I did a sportscast back in 1987, my director said, where are your scripts? And I said, oh, I live everything. He goes, no, no, no. He goes, I need scripts so I can follow along. And I said, well, I, I don't really write scripts. I said, how about if I just say when I want the highlights, roll the t- Like if I'm showing highlights of the Giants and the Dodgers, I'll say, let me take you to Los Angeles or roll it from, you know, Dodger Stadium and then just start the tape. And it took us a while to get on the same page because I didn't write, I don't write scripts. And so like, I'm kind of, I'm kind of different that way. But again, you'll find as you get into this business, what works for me might not work for you and vice versa. You have to find what you're comfortable with. What is the best way to go about it? There is no right way. There's no best way. We're all different, but that's what I'm comfortable with. And so it's, it's just been the way I approach my, my job. I just like ad living. I don't really rehearse ever what I'm going to say. Yeah. I, and I think that there's a sense of just being real when, I mean, you can tell when someone is reading something, you know, and, and there's a genuine, 
uh, feel to it when it, nothing is rehearsed like that. And I, I'm curious, what has it been like moving from a a different color man next to you? There was uh, there was G Man previously, and obviously Doug Christie has taken over and done a great job. But you know, there's a chemistry that needs to be built, um, and obviously is building. Um, what has that transition been like for you? That's a great question. Uh, you know, Jerry is somebody that I've known ever since I moved to Sacramento. And on the air, I knew what he was going to say. He knew what I was going to say. I, you know, it was just the most comfortable, great situation. And then all of a sudden, Doug started doing the games. And I've been blessed that I've known Doug for 20 years. And I got to tell you, Doug has blown me away with how hard he works at this. Whereas I say I don't have anything written down. He comes in with pages of notes. He uh-huh. studies every opponent. Uh, he asks questions. He always says, Napes, uh, tell me if I'm doing anything wrong or, you know, give me advice whenever you want. He doesn't have an ego. And I think he's developed into one of the league's best analysts. I really do. I, I think Doug could go work for TNT and do the games and be better than some of the guys that are currently doing it. That's how much I really like the job that Doug's doing. I think it starts first and foremost with a friendship and then respect and the fact that the guy that's next to me is working his tail off to be great, not just good. Doug approaches the Kings games on TV the same way he approached playing. And that was his, you know, he's doing everything in his power to play as well as he can and practice as well as he can every day when he played for the Kings. He does the exact same thing on our radio show every afternoon, and he does the same thing when he's doing the games with me. And he's always asking questions. You know, I've had to help him on a couple of things, and he'll say, hey, Napes, you know, thank you so much. That really has helped me. I really appreciate it. You know, we were in L.A. Uh, it was either last year. It was last year. And the crowd was really quiet. We were playing the Lakers, and there were there were, there were free throws, and the, the the crowd was still quiet. And I noticed that Doug was talking very low. And during the commercial break, I said, "Hey, Doug," I said, "Don't worry about the place being quiet. You got to bring energy. I want you to make believe you're talking to a person across the floor." And he said, "Napes." He goes, "You know what? Thank you very much. I was not aware." that I was not bringing the energy because I was being uh, influenced by how quiet it was in here. And he even to this day, if you ask him about that, he'll tell you how much that's helped him. And I'm not trying to be egotistical here. We, I can get better. I've been doing this for 32 years. I still try to get better every day. But the fact is that Doug didn't have a problem with me telling him that in the middle of the game and then thank me for helping him and telling him. And it's just a great situation. First of all, he's one of my real good friends. We play golf together a lot on the road we're going out to dinner all the time together we spend a lot of time off the court um i just love the guy he's just a great human being and i have so much respect for him that doing the games is an absolute pleasure it's just a pleasure to be with him yeah that's interesting i definitely would have never thought energy as uh something that doug christie needed to pick up a little more um But yeah, no, I totally, and that leads me to a question I, I hadn't thought of is how does a, say a quiet environment like on the road or a hostile environment where they're really, you know, um, going at the Kings because they're obviously in an away environment, yeah. does that affect you guys as well? It doesn't affect us, uh, but I will announce the game differently at home than I will on the road 
because the one thing I've learned over the years is you can't talk over the fans at our uh, at our arena. It's just uh-huh. too loud. So, you know, when there's a great play, I'll lay out and let the crowd take over. But when the Kings make a great play, like I don't know if you remember the De'Aaron Fox jam two years ago uh, to win the game in Miami on a putback yeah. where he fouled up a miss and came from nowhere and dunked the ball. And that, if that play had been at home, I would have been shut up and let the crowd take over. But on the road, when it when, when the Kings make a great play, the crowd is quiet. So we have to continue our announcing because we're providing all the energy and all of the flavor and everything else. So it is different, uh, but in terms of the loudness, and that doesn't affect us when we're broadcasting. That doesn't matter. But um, we will, from a Kings perspective, a great play at home is different than a great play on the road because at home, when you make a great play, the crowd goes ballistic, and very often you can't talk over that you have to just kind of let it let it you could call you lay out whereas on the road it's quiet when the visiting team makes a great play and so you have to you know carry on like i don't know if you remember the game that nemanja bielitsa hit the three at the buzzer this year in houston to beat the rockets i would have announced that completely differently had that been at home i would have announced it i would have announced the ball going in and then i would have stopped and probably right. we wouldn't have said anything for 10 or 15 seconds to show all the excitement and the fact but but the, but at the uh, at the toyota center as soon as the ball went in it got very quiet and so we <laughs> didn't have to bring the energy and everything that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And, and going with that in regards to the games at home, is there different acoustics that you had to get used to moving into a new stadium from Arco to G1C? Not really. And the reason for that is when you have the headsets on, you don't really hear a lot of that stuff. Got um, it. Now, there are certain arenas, like I hate doing games in San Antonio because they literally play music on every single possession of the game. And it's literally a different song every single <laughs> possession and I hate that I just think it takes away from the game it doesn't take away from how I announce the game but I, I do hear that in my headset but acoustic wise at the Golden One Center compared to Arco it didn't it, there wasn't a lot to get in other words the difference in the sound because it is a different sound the sound system at the Golden One Center is night and day better uh, than it was at Arco not the fans necessarily but I'm talking about the speakers the mm-hmm. as you said the acoustics but no it wasn't anything that I had to make an adjustment over. Okay, that makes sense. Um, I, I think that's most of what I got for you here, Grant. Is there anything else that you want to get out there? Not as if you don't have your own platform already. Well, uh, you know, I just think 32 years and I moved here, I'll never forget when I was working at Channel 31 and I remember in the fall, I had to go out and do a story at Arco Arena, the old Arco, Arco 1. Mm-hmm and tickets were going on sale and they were individual game tickets and i went out and did a story for the channel 31 uh, news and people had been camping out for two and three days they had tents that were out in front of the arena they had big lounge chairs and i was blown away i could not believe it and fans wanted tickets to go see the kings play so badly that they camped out overnight for literally two and three days. Wow. And that uh, that memory is something that stays with me to this day. And then doing the first ever playoff game at the Arco 2, the previous Arco, when the Kings played the Sonics. And I've been to a lot of great sporting events and I've been blessed to do a lot of different things. But that game three, when Sacramento played Seattle, George Carl coaching, Gary Payton playing, when the Kings had won game two in Seattle, 
That game three at Arco when the Kings came out onto the floor, to this day, is the most electric, most energized, loud building that I've ever experienced. And again, I always talk, when I talk about the Sacramento Kings, I always talk about the fans. And I always will talk about the fans. And I grew up in New York and I went to college in Ohio and, you know, I've been blessed to live in different parts of the country. There's nothing like the Sacramento Kings fans. And I just consider myself so lucky that I'm working for a team and not another market where they don't show up to go to the games unless the team's playing really, really well. That's not the case here in Sacramento. And I've always, day in, day out, that will never leave me. I just love living in Sacramento. I mean, I've lived here for more than half my life. The fans here are amazing. And that, to me, is the best part about my job. Yeah, and the, I'm sure the fans appreciate that you recognize that, and the fans are lucky to have you uh, calling every game for uh, over a stretch of three decades now. I can't thank you enough for coming on the show, Grant, um, and thank you to everybody for listening to this episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. You'll hear from us again in the next couple of days.